0: Well, good morning, North Boulevard. If we have not had the chance to meet, my name is David Hunziker, and I'm filling in today for David Young. I am one of the ministers at the West Campus of North Boulevard. So to my West Campus members who are watching online, I love you guys. I'm so glad to be with you. And to East Campus and Boulevard Online, it is a real honor to be here to to jump right into a series that is so significant. I know that it was a big week last week. So big... That my daughter took five consecutive steps as she's learning to walk. That's how big of a week it was. Okay, that's a joke. It was a bigger week than that. It was a big week for our nation. It seems that every, I don't know, four to eight years, we subject ourselves to some level of trauma as we navigate the election cycle. You really do not want me to speak on politics right now. I'm not that qualified to do so. I would make a bigger mess than I could clean up or that David Young could clean up next week. So I'm not going to do that. But it is a high, high honor of mine to welcome you to church. Welcome to church. And I have written this for you to welcome you to church. This came through prayer and through tears because it matters. Welcome to church where the leader never changes, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome to church... Where your life's purpose was the same today as it was yesterday and as it will be tomorrow. And that is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Welcome to church. Welcome to church where life's ethics flow from the unchanging word of the Lord and not from shifting political platforms. Welcome to church. And welcome to church where the poor will be loved, the minority honored. The unborn protected, the family preserved, the immigrant welcomed, the widow comforted, and the orphan adopted. Welcome to church. While our nation searches for an identity, we rest in Jesus Christ, for on Christ, the solid rock we stand. Welcome to church, my brothers and sisters. This is an honor and this really matters. And right now at North Boulevard, if you are just joining us We are in the fifth book of your Bible, Deuteronomy. We're studying Deuteronomy. It comes out of the late Bronze Age. But watch this. Those who have been with us for a few weeks, I'm going to give you a chance to show what you know. We're studying Deuteronomy not to become experts at the late Bronze Age, but to become experts at obedience. obedience, That's the word. So if you're just joining us, welcome aboard. This series really matters. We're in week four of this series. And because I'm jumping in in week four, I want you to know that I believe in this. And that I I believe that this is important for our church. So I want to share with you some important frameworks for thinking about obedience. There are loads of them, but here are at least four of them. Number one, we obey, but since we're in Christ and we are forgiven, our obedience is not guilt-driven. You might write that down. Our obedience is not guilt-driven. There is a way of obeying God that will wear you out and that will insult him. And that way is to say, I don't believe the cross of Christ is enough for me, but we believe that the cross of Christ is enough to bring us back to the Father. Which brings us to point number two. We obey because obedience is our love language to our Father who loved us first. That's been said before me in this pulpit. But again, I want you to know I believe that I find this important. And number three, we obey because it's the pathway to freedom. Freedom is found... And living by design, not by desire. So if you say to the Lord, you made my body, God. How am I supposed to use my body? You made marriage. How am I supposed to approach marriage? You made finances. How am I supposed to approach my finances? And in those answers, whether you like the answers or not, in those answers, you find freedom. That's why we obey. And number four, by definition, disciples of Jesus Christ are trained in obedience. That's how he defines a disciple of Jesus Christ One who's trained in obedience. So here's some framework for why we obey, how important this series is. I want you to know I believe in it. And I'm so, so honored to be here with you. We're going to pick back up where we left off last week in Deuteronomy chapter 2. We're in the middle of chapter 2, starting in verse 24. And our scene today is massive. It's huge. I want to orient you to kind of show you what's going to happen in our text today. But just know this it's so important that the Hebrew poets captured this scene and they write it down in some of the most important Hebrew poetry. Uh, A psalm that you might be familiar with, Psalm 139, you know, it's the one who goes, uh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. And then every other line, you repeat that, his love endures forever. This scene today is captured in that psalm and in other psalms. This scene is so massive because it reminds Israel of a key truth. Let me show you what's going on. In our scene, We are still on the east side of the Jordan River. Meaning, Israel still has a whole lot of work to do in the promised land. A land that God had promised to deliver to them many, many years ago. We're still on the east side. Israel is traveling north. And Moses reminds them of a portion of their history where God tells them to engage in battle against King Sihon of Heshbon and against King Og up in the north here of Bashan, this is the scene. Moses makes something very clear as he's explaining this scene. Israel could not have done it without God himself. So Israel here is staring at a command of God. He says, engage them in battle. This is Israel, here is them obeying. Here is them conquering and there's a major gap. They're outmatched, it doesn't seem like this is gonna work. Ultimately, the defeat seems imminent. And Moses makes it clear, the Lord our God has done the impossible for us. And if he hasn't already, I know this is true of God. This text makes this clear. He will put you in a position where the thing he commands you to do will be on the other side of a huge gap. And it will seem unrealistic. It will seem um, unable, for you to be unable to do it, it will seem impossible. But the text says this, that if you, like Israel, will just take a simple step of obedience, then you too can witness the impossible. That's what we're getting into today. So turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 24. Let's dig right into the text. God speaks to his people and he says, Set out now and cross the Arnon Gorge. Go north. See, I have given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his country. Begin to take possession of it and engage him in battle. This very day I will begin to put the terror and fear of you on all the nations under heaven. They will hear reports of you and will tremble and be in anguish because of you. Quick pause. Let's talk about that. He's doing two things at once, God he's giving Israel possession of a land while simultaneously striking fear in the heart of the surrounding nations. Why does he want to do that? I believe that this is God's signal for the nations surrounding Heshbon and Bashan to repent. God wants all people to repent. He's already given them signs and wonders out of Egypt. Now he's going to give them other reasons to fear the one true Lord, our God, and to repent. But he says this. He says, I want you to take... Heshbon, it's worth noting something right here. Heshbon in Hebrew is a really significant word. Heshbon in Hebrew means reasoning. It has to do with human thought, even mathematics and accounting and the best of human thought. So if you were to uh, request a check after a bill eating in Israel, you would be requesting the Heshbon. Which is about uh, reasoning, human thought. And notice what God is doing. Before Israel takes any other land, God says... Right now you are, you are sitting here, you believe that there is this unreasonable gap between you and obedience. What if we just take that out first? What if the first thing we do is show that your human reasoning is limited but I am not? That what you think is impossible is not impossible with me. What your limitations are are not my limitations. Let's take the region of Heshbon. So that takes us now to uh, the next section where we read, From the desert of Kidmoth, I, Moses sent messengers to Sihon king of Heshbon offering peace and saying, let us pass through your country. We will stay on the main road. We will not turn aside to the right or to the left. Sell us food to eat and water to drink for their price in silver. Only let us pass through on foot as the descendants of Esau who lived in Seir and the Moabites who lived in Ar, did for us until we cross the Jordan, note this, into the land the Lord our God is giving us. But Sihon king of Heshbon, Refuse to let us pass through. So let's go back and make an observation. Uh, Moses is doing two things. First, he's offering peace. And uh, scholars have debated, is that disobedience? It seems that we just read, God says, take the, the land, engage them in battle, and Moses offers peace. It could very likely be that Moses is obeying God's code of conduct, his code for warfare, that we will receive later in Deuteronomy chapter 20. And that code of battle is to always go forward and offer peace before you engage in war. So maybe he's not being disobedient. God at least does not reprimand him in the text. He's possibly just following that code of of ethic. The second thing, Moses says to the people of Heshbon, we're just trying to go through to go get the land that God is going to give us on the west side of the Jordan. But God is making something clear. Actually, the land on the east side is a gift for Israel as well. Is it possible that God is giving more than can be expected to Moses? certainly is. That now, not just the Canaan's land on the west side, but this land on the east side will be given as an inheritance. Have you ever received more from God than you have expected to receive? I know a good friend whose expectation was that God, if he would just do it, if, if maybe he could help, would free this man from uh, meth use. That's, that's what he expected. That's what he wanted. God could just get me off of this substance. But what he didn't know was that God had in mind for him to join a faith community here at North Boulevard, to be an influential part of the church, to lead in ministry, to have a place, not just to free him from his addiction, but to give him a life worth living. And it's worth noting this, God doesn't give more than we expect just so we can hoard possessions or just so we can kind of get, excuse the language, but fat and happy. He gives Israel more than to be expected because this is a strategic uh, Uh, Land. This is a trade route that connects Egypt to Mesopotamia so that Israel, in getting more than they expected, could bless the world. That's the case here at North Boulevard. It's the case in your family. When you place yourself under God and you obey him and he gives you more than to be expected, it's so you can bless others. Not hoard blessings, but be a blessing to the whole world, which is the plan right here. Next. Let's read from verse 30. But Sihon, king of Heshbon, refused to let us pass through. For the Lord your God had made his spirit stubborn and his heart obstinate in order to give him into your hands, as he has now done. The Lord said to me, see, I have begun to deliver Sihon in his country over to you. Now begin to conquer and possess the land. This is a familiar thing that God has done if you're familiar with your Bible. Do you remember from Exodus 19, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's a sobering but it's a biblical truth and this is it. God knows when the the time of repentance has passed and the time of judgment must come. God knows that. We don't know that. But now what he's doing is he's ending the time of repentance for Sihon and he's bringing in the time of judgment. You were never interested to do that. Jesus makes it very clear that we're not to judge people. But God knows. And if you're wondering like me, did Sihon have an opportunity to repent? The answer is yes. Romans chapter 1 makes it very clear. He knew everything he needed to know to repent and he didn't do it. He doesn't know as much as Moses and he doesn't know as much as you. But he knew everything he needed to know and he still chose not to repent. So his time of judgment has come. Verse 32-37. through When Sihon and all his army came out to meet us in battle at Jahaz, The Lord our God delivered him over to us. The Lord our God delivered him over to us and we struck him down. Together with his sons and his whole army. At that time we took all his towns and completely destroyed them. Men, women, and children. We left no survivors. But the livestock and the plunder from the towns we had captured, we carried off for ourselves from the Aror on the rim of the Arnon gorge and from the town in the gorge even as far as Gilead not one town was too strong for us why for the Lord our God gave us all of them notice what Moses is doing but in accordance with the command of the Lord our God you did not encroach on the land of the Amorites God had told them uh, Ammonites God had told them not to do that neither the land along the course of the Jabit nor around the till of the town in the hills his main point is we couldn't have done it But God made it happen. We stared at a major gap between us and this, but God filled the gap and made the impossible possible. But it is kind of hard to capture that main point when you're reading language like, we destroyed them all, men, women, and children. It would be unwise for us to work through Deuteronomy and not uh, pause and talk about that. Because your stomach is probably churning, Your mind is racing as to what this means and how this could be possible. If that's true... You're in good company. Like that text should make you uncomfortable. Remember, it made Abraham uncomfortable when God said, I'm going to wipe out Sodom. Sodom. And Abraham said, no, please, Lord, don't do it. Begged him not to do it. It makes Moses uncomfortable. Moses seeks peace in Heshbon. This is, it's okay for you to feel uncomfortable about that. It doesn't mean you doubt God. just like We just honor life. We, we don't want to see people destroyed. So what we need to do is kind of get under the the water on that iceberg and discover what God is doing and why he does it. That's not for today. When we come to Deuteronomy chapter 7, we're going to deal with this in a whole lot more detail. But if you're curious, in your note page there's at least a little shadow box on the back of your notes that gives you some detail. I would call it just the tip of the iceberg as to why God takes such drastic measures right here in the text. It should make you squirm. That's okay. It should hurt. We plead for people. We want people to repent and be saved. But it is also worth noting that when God says the time of judgment has come, the time has come and only he is just enough to make those decisions. So here we are moving through the text. Again, we'll come back to that big iceberg in chapter 7. In accordance with the command, we did not touch the Jabbok or the town in the hills. That takes us now to chapter 3. Next, we turned and we went up along the road toward Bashan. This is a major road through which Israel is now gonna get the chance to bless the world. And Og king of Bashan with his whole army marched out to meet us in battle at Edrei. The Lord said to me, do not be afraid of him. For I have delivered him into your hands along with his whole army and his land. Do to him what you did to Sihon king of the Amorites who reigned in Heshbon. Why does God over and over in the scriptures, say, do not be afraid? The answer is because you have eyes to see the gap between you and obedience to God. And in that gap, you feel so incompetent. All you can see is all of the reasons why you can't do it. You're in your 20s and God says, remain sexually pure. And all you can see is a gap. How can I do that? It's impossible. And he says, do not be afraid. He says, make disciples, North Boulevard, and all we can see is a gap. Over and over. He says, Do not be afraid, I'm the Lord your God. Keep reading. So do to him what you did to Sihon of Heshbon. So the Lord our God also gave into our hands, not us, but the Lord our God gave into our hands Og, king of Bashan, and all his army. We struck them down, leaving no survivors. At that time we took all his cities. There was not one of the 60 cities that we did not take from them. The whole region of the Argab, Og's kingdom, and Bashan. Notice this. All of the cities were fortified with high walls and with great gates and bars. And there were already a great many unwalled villages. And we completely destroyed them as we did with Sihon, king of Heshbon. Destroying every city, men, women, and children. But all the livestock and all the plunder from the cities, we carried off for ourselves. So at that time. We took from these two kings of the Amorites, the territory east of the Jordan, from the Arnon Gorge as far as Mount Hermon, that's in the north, a snow-capped mountain on the northern portion of this country. Hermon is called Syrian by the Sidonians and the Amorites call it Sinir, just so you know exactly which mountain we're talking about. We took all the towns on the plateau and all of Gilead and Bashan, and as far as Seleca and Edriai, towns of Og's kingdom in Bashan. He says these are fortified cities. There's at least 60 of them and many unwalled villages. To reinforce the point, we couldn't have done this if God had not shown up. We stood no chance. Then one of the more fascinating verses in your Bible, verse 11. At least it's fascinating to me. Describes not just the place, but the person they had to overcome. Listen to this guy. Look, look at this. Og. King of Bashan was the last of the Rephaites. Mean a lot to you? It's about to. His bed was decorated with iron. It's the late Bronze Age and he has iron on his bed, which is significant. This is an important dude. And was more than nine cubits long and four cubits wide or 13 and a half feet long and six feet wide. This is a giant man who's powerful, who has resources, and who is a living embodiment of Israel's worst Nightmare. In Numbers 13, we know that Israel ran from giants like this before. So right now in the story, God has already conquered their human reasoning, which is limited. And then he says, how about I show myself victor over your worst nightmare? Og, king of Bashan. This is a giant man of great influence. Then we go on to verse 12. In 12 through 20, I'll summarize by saying this, God is keeping true to his promise and Moses gets to then distribute all this newly conquered land to the tribes of Israel. He distributes it to to Gad, to Reuben, and to Manasseh. And then you'll read two names, Jair and Makir. These are descendants of Manasseh and therefore they get some land as well. Makir being Manasseh's oldest son. That helps you understand that section from uh, 12 to 20. Then at the end of that section, Moses says, hey, we're, we're going to be comfortable here and that's great and that's good. But also get the army ready because there's a whole lot more to conquer on the west side of the Jordan. and We have to be ready to do that. That takes us to verse 21. A few more verses and we'll be done with our reading this morning. At that time I commanded Joshua, you have seen with your own eyes all the Lord your God has done to these, t- these two kings. The Lord, not the unaided strength of Israel, the Lord... We'll do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. This is leadership. This is leadership. Leadership defined in the scriptures is to meet someone in their fear and point them to their God. That's leadership. Moses is nailing it. Hey, young man, I know you see the gap. Just hang out with me for a little bit. I'm going to point you to the strength of your God. That's leadership in the scriptures. At that time, I pleaded with God. So now Moses is going to pray uh, a real heartfelt prayer to the Lord. Man, this, this one will get you. Sovereign Lord, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds of the mighty works you do? Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country in Lebanon. But because of you, Moses kind of shifts the blame to Israel. The Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. That is enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me any anymore about the matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah. That's a mountain in the lower portion of the region, also called Mount Nebo. And God says, look to the north, to the east, the south and the west. Look upon with your own eyes this beautiful land that I will give. But you yourself will not enter it. Joshua will go ahead. So God says, go ahead and commission Joshua And Moses does. It's like um, God goes into that really good dad mode. No, son, you may not have a donut for breakfast. And then the son asks again and he says, I don't want to hear it. I've already told you no. And he tells him, commission Joshua to lead him towards strength in the Lord. But I want to say this to you. When Moses is up on this mountain, and this is the the view that he gets on the mountain on Mount uh, Pisgah or Nebo. Nebo. He looks north, south, east, east, and west. You want to go ahead and put up the, the mountain for me? When he's, maybe it's frozen. When he's on the mountain, here we go. He asks God, can I please enter the, the, the land? You'll remember from Numbers 20 that he disobeyed God at, um, at the rock where the Israels are complaining against Moses for not having water. They're thirsty. God says, speak to the rock. Israel rebukes the people of Israel, calls them rebels. And he strikes the rock two times saying, may we, should we provide this water for you? And he's arrogant and he was proud and he was disobedient. But God loves Moses. He loves Moses. But right here when he says no, and it's a firm and lasting no. No, you may not enter the land. This serves as a reminder for all of Israel and for us that when we disobey, we miss opportunities. We know he loves Moses. Later on, Moses shows up at the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Probably that northern mountain in the region. And Jesus is in all of his glory. And Moses shows up and speaks with Jesus. God loves him. But let this be a reminder that if you choose disobedience, you miss opportunities. Everyone should know that. So that brings us to the end of our text today. We made it through. Now, I have... um, To turn our attention to some application. If you want to just flip in your notes, it's the back page uh, of application. Do you know those people in your life who always actually seem to step towards the impossible? They see the same gaps you see, they have the same limitations, but they always seem to step forward. What is the difference between someone who will step forward and someone who steps back? I want to tell you the difference. It's a biblical thing. This is a life principle that will lead you to step forward when everyone else steps back. And here's the life principle. I think it's the principle that Moses lives by. It's the principle that David lived by when he went to face Goliath. Here it is. Live in such a way that shows off the greatness of God. Or to say it in a maybe more memorable way, something you can pass on to your kids. Live in such a way that puts God's greatness on display. This is the difference between someone who'll step forward and someone who will step back. It's the greatness of God. People who think like this see the gap between them and obedience and they welcome it because they know that in that gap, God will be made great. Your limitations are actually an opportunity to put on display the greatness of God. Nothing to shy away from. It's nothing to fear. Um... I think about this and I'm immediately reminded of so many biblical stories. And so many times where God says, do not fear. And so many times where he says, trust me. And now for the fifth, sixth, maybe seventh time in this first sermon of Moses in Deuteronomy, he says, trust the Lord, trust the Lord, take the step, trust the Lord. And if you were at North Boulevard and it's starting to feel redundant, like why? (laughs) Again, Okay, trust God and take a step of obedience. Obey God even when it's hard. That's kind of been the sermon uh, lately, hasn't it? I'll tell you why the Bible hits it again and again. Because when you're looking at your gap, your mind is powerful, guys. Your mind is powerful enough to justify disobedience. You can look at your limitations, you can look at the gap, and say to yourself, it's okay if I disobey. That's how powerful the human mind is. And so Moses hits again, and he hits it again. Trust the Lord. Take a step forward and obey, despite this gap, for the greatness of God. Not because of yourself, but for the greatness of God. And here are some practical ways to do that. The first thing is this. Take your eyes off of the gap and place them onto God. That's actually a practical step. If you spend more time talking about the way you just are, are. I'm just an angry person. I, I, I just don't have the time. I just don't have the resources. That's keeping your eyes on your own gap and not on the power or the greatness of God. And like I said, leadership is coming in and saying, no, let's direct your attention to God, which is what Moses does. And the reason he does that is because if you're waiting for your gap to fill, if you're waiting for the conditions to be right, if you're waiting until you know absolutely everything in the Bible before you make disciples, if you're waiting until you have a a 5,000 square foot home before you start caring for people, if you're waiting until your bank account is in the tens, if not hundreds or millions of dollars before you start giving, you will wait forever. You'll miss your opportunity to obey. The gap won't fill. Not until we take a simple step of obedience in faith and God himself takes care of the rest. So that leads me to point number two, and that is just start with what you have. Start with what you have and trust God to provide the rest. If you have, I don't know, randomly here, shooting from the hip, just $600 laying around that maybe you didn't expect. Start with that. If you have a spare bedroom, start with that. If you have a DBS bookmark that just kind of sits in the floorboard of your car, Or then it's on the dresser at home. Or then it it ends up in the nightstand. Start with that and start making disciples. Whatever you have, just go. And that's not settling, by the way. That's starting. That's faith. We'll start. We'll get started. Here's why we would do that. If you think about a life like that, one who walks towards what seems impossible and not away from it, that life is so inspiring. A life like that inspires people to worship God. A life like that inspires people to worship God. It's the difference, moms, of saying, children, you need to worship the Lord. And in saying, children, you need to worship the Lord. And them seeing the greatness of God in your life. It's the difference, dads, of saying, kids, you have to obey and worship the Lord. And in them seeing the power of God in your life. And that inspires them to worship God. In my family, this man who you will see, I think a picture of, He's my papa, and in uh, January of 2018, I got the honor of speaking at his funeral and honoring this man, really uh, honoring God. I'll tell you why. Joe Thomas Braxton uh, was from Viola, McMinnville. Does anyone even know what I mean when I say Viola? It's a small, there's a hand. It's a small place. He grew up in Viola. He grew up poor. Grew up so poor actually that after the ninth grade, he didn't return to school in the 10th grade because he had to put his hand to the plow and work to provide for his family. This is Joe Thomas Braxton. He worked with his hands, worked with his hands all his life. As an adult, he worked in the auto repair industry and repaired cars. Here's something I want you to know that in all of those years, he kind of hardened up. He became a tough guy. Um, I would say he kind of took on a shell. Life made him hardened. Hardened his heart even. He worked, attended church, he loved the Lord, he wanted to be obedient to his God. But between you and me, that's, I guess that includes quite a few people these days. I don't even know if he liked people. Just kind of hardened dude, you know. Well, after working uh, all of his life and he retires, you know what God does? This, this is amazing. God says, Joe, I have a ministry for you. I, I want you to lead a benevolence program caring for all of the poor of McMinnville, Tennessee, giving them clothes and food every week. Let them come in, let them be provided for. Joe Braxton, I don't think he liked people. I'm gonna tell you, the gap between Joe and his call was bigger than the gap between you and yours. I'm just saying. He had a huge gap. God says, No, just. Just take a step. He takes a step in obedience, begins serving in this benevolence ministry, and for 20 years, Joe provided needs for the poor in his community. God softened him. God worked on his heart. And then when I stand to honor him, when I stand to preach at his funeral, I don't say, hey, guys, remember our compassionate papa? I say, do you remember, do you know how great God is? If he can fill that gap, use that man to bless so many for so long, How great is our God. You know how great he is. That's what I say. The second reason why we do this, so it's inspiring. It inspires people to worship God. The second reason, this is a big reason, because you will seize the opportunities in front of you. It's so much better to seize your opportunities than to look back in 20, 30 years and say, man, what could have been with my life? What could have been? What would it have been like if we as a family had done the thing God called us to? What would it have been like if North Boulevard took a step in faith even when it seems this far away? And maybe now it seems further away because of the pandemic. But what if we press on in faith? What would happen as opposed to missing the opportunities? What would, what would become of you if you seized them? And by the way, a quick side note, I'm not talking about saying yes to everything. You can say yes to every program and every ministry and everybody who asks or make a request and just wear yourself out and wear yourself thin and have nothing. I'm talking about you're reading the word of the Lord, you come across a command, and you go. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit leading you, saying this is the way, and you go, despite the gap. The third thing, I believe you will fight boredom with obedience. That seems so trivial, doesn't it? But I don't think it's trivial at all. Every year in ministry, I figure out how important it is that we keep boredom at bay. And here's what I mean. Do you notice trends at times where people check out of the Christian faith? Do you notice, like I notice, and I don't have research to back this up right now, although there's plenty of research to prove it, that guys sometimes just check out of the faith? Like dads, young boys, young men, teenage guys just seem to check out. One of the reasons I think, and this isn't comprehensive, But one of the reasons I think that is, is because there is a cheapened version of the faith where we say falsely, there's no risk to be had here. There's no adventure. There is nothing that will take such meaning in your life that you have to step over a ledge. There's no battles to be won. There is nothing exciting here. Sit down, shut up, and just try to be good. I think that that's a cheapened version of the faith. The version of the faith that's been passed down to us is passed down from Moses, who takes a leap of faith. From Abraham, who walks into the unknown. From David who steps toe-to-toe with a giant. I think this version of the faith to Jesus who faces suffering and death. I think this version of the faith is captivating. It's not boring. We can fight boredom with entertainment. And by the way, you can fill your life with entertainment. You can fight boredom with entertainment or you can turn off Netflix and say, what do you think God wants us to do right now? How can we obey the Lord? This This is not a boring version of the faith. There's so many adventures for you. If you woke up and you said, God, what is it that you want me to stop doing? What is it that you want me to start doing? That's my adventure today. That's my thrill. That's why I am here. And to all of you, those battles will at times seem impossible. But welcome to church where one simple step in faith makes the impossible possible. Amen? That's the text today. That's the lesson we will trust God in the face of the impossible or we'll justify our disobedience. I say, let's trust the Lord. If you would like to respond, I should say, uh, you have a whole community of faith around you, so you don't have to do this alone. You don't have to do it alone. And speaking of that, in just a second, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing and you are welcome to go to the back of the auditorium uh, online, you are welcome to join the prayer room available for you there to respond, to receive help and encouragement. Would you guys go ahead and stand up with me right now? I'm going to say a prayer for you and then we'll move forward with our service. O oh Lord, our God, with your strong, mighty hand, who uh, is like you, O oh Lord? Who is like you? There is no one. So I pray that you would give us the faith to take a small step today in obedience that we might put on display the greatness of God. May we be jealous for the greatness of God to be put on display right now. And I pray this in the holy name of Jesus, amen.